Welcome to the Execution Zone podcast, where we tackle the challenge of why executing strategy is so much harder than actually creating it. We talk openly and honestly with entrepreneurs and leaders who will share the behind the scenes story of their own journey. This will give you the insights that you need to shortcut your own path to success. Welcome to the Execution Zone podcast. I'm Abby White. This week, we have the amazing Lisa Burling, founder of LBPR with us. Lisa shares such an open and honest interview about her journey of starting LBPR. Lisa found herself in a position where she had a premature baby, only 48 hours old, a three-year-old son, and a partner that walked out on her and leaving her in a position where she, as a single mum, felt like she had no choice but to start her own business. LBPR went on to be an award-winning business and has done absolutely amazing things seven years on. Lisa has also now just published her first book, um, which is going to be in bookstores across Australia really soon and talks to us about how she got published and the journey there too. This interview is raw, it's open, it's honest, and I hope you love learning from Lisa as much as I did. Welcome to the amazing Lisa Burling, who is with us today for our podcast. Lisa is a friend of mine, and I'm even more excited to have her on because I know how many nuggets of gold she's going to share with you and how incredible her story is and how inspired you're going to be. Lisa is the founder of LBPR. She's also the creator of Australia's first student PR consultancy and a global ambassador for women's entrepreneurial movements, including Inspiring Rare Birds and the Oz Mumpreneur Network. In addition to that, Lisa is also an author and recently launched her book, Dream a Little Dream, which we're going to be talking about lots in our discussion. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Abby. It's such a thrill to be speaking to you. I'm just excited that we get to catch up. We're using a podcast as an opportunity to chat and catch up. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Like being mums and running businesses, we email and you know message every now and again, but this is the first time we've actually had a conversation in forever. So um, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, welcome to Lisa and I's catch up chat. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> So what I want to do is I want to bring everyone up to speed a little bit on the background story to LBPR and how LBPR came to life because you have such a powerful story. I don't even feel I can do it justice. Um, So I wanted to hear the story from you in your words. Well, I'll give you the condensed version. Um, And look, it's actually seven years almost to the day since I set this business up. So it feels like it was yesterday and also such a long time ago all at once. But essentially, I set the business up at a time when nobody would advise you to do it. Um, I had two very small children, one of whom was a premature baby still in the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, I just found myself a single parent. Um, The father of my children left me two days after our second son was born. I had nowhere to live. Um, And I should also say, you know, I was the girl most likely to. Um, I was a prefect. I worked really hard. I went to university, built a really strong PR career and found myself in that predicament um, within, you know, the space of two days. So um, the business was really born out of a the depths of despair, if you'd like, where I was looking for a way to support my very young family on my own uh, and do it quickly and also looking for a way to boost my own self-confidence. Um, as a career person, and I'm sure there's people listening that get this, you know, it really defined 
who I was and my personal success was very much linked to my professional success. So um, LBPR became the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, as I said, it was madness, but thankfully, um, seven years on, I'm, I'm still here. So I must have done something right. And I'll never forget seeing you present and um, you had a picture of, I think it might be Nate, the day he came out of hospital in a little car seat, absolutely diddy and tiny and cute. And you with your laptop and LBPR background, almost that picture of, okay, right, let's do this. Yeah, look, I look back at that picture now, Abby, and that is one where it does almost feel like yesterday. Um, you know, you hear stories about, you know, businesses that start in a garage or, you know, in a back room somewhere. Um, and LBPR was absolutely that. You know, I started on a kitchen table in Kiama on the south coast of New South Wales, a very small, beautiful town. Um, I just dropped Luke and my oldest son off to preschool um, or daycare and I had little Nady with me who's so tiny as you said you know in this car seat and he was asleep and I took that as a sign that I should use those couple of hours to actually just launch my business and when I talk about launch I'm doing the inverted commas with my fingers because um, as a PR person I'd worked on tons of fancy launches but my launch for LBPR was probably the most unfancy launch you're ever going to have. Um, it was literally sitting in front of a laptop with a logo that I didn't really like but thought I should have one and sending emails out to everybody I knew telling them that I'd started a PR consultancy and if they needed my help, I was here. And that was basically it. <laughs> so I want to dig into that a bit because, you know, we all have great ideas. Um, some of us are quite dangerous and have great ideas every day. Um, but it's actually one thing to have the idea. It's another thing to actually execute on it. And particularly in, in those circumstances, which I just I can't even comprehend. Um, what I'm interested in is how you went about executing. You just talked there about going around your network and sort of almost putting the word out on the street that, hey, I'm in business, I'm here. Talk to us a little bit about executing on the idea and, and how you sort of really started to get momentum behind LBPR. I think it's important to say that I don't come from a family of business people. Um, you know, my mum is a teacher, my dad is an engineer, so they both had great but very traditional careers. So um, I had only really observed the way to build a business by being in them. So when I lived in London, I worked for a phenomenal PR consultancy that grew from four people to 40 in the three years that I was there. And when I came back um, from London for the first year, I actually worked at a consultancy in Sydney. And I, because I was on the senior team, I could observe the business workings as well as, you know, do the PR activities. So I knew the basics, you know, like sort out a logo, get an ABN, have a laptop, um, sort out an email signature, those sorts of things. And really all I did, and partly this was because I was so time poor, was chunk it down into little steps. And as you know, that has actually become the basis of a completely separate business um, and my, my book. Um, I just did two or three things every day that was ultimately going to get me to the point initially where I was making some money because I was on Centrelink benefits at at the start, um, which near destroyed me. I mean, we've had this conversation. You'd think, um, you know, being stuck in hospital with two two children, one very sick, no partner would be your rock bottom. But actually for me, it was having to go into Centrelink and get single parent benefits. I don't think I've ever felt so ashamed in my whole life. Um, but talk about a motivator, you know. So those little steps every day, my number one goal was to get myself off Centrelink benefits and pain myself. Um, and I gave it six months. 
um, I thought I just, I have to make this work. And it was pride as well, right? Because when you're used to doing well and being successful and suddenly life drags the rug out from under your feet, um, your personal kind of confidence and belief in yourself just goes through the floor. Um, so I was really, really focused on making it work. And I knew that if I just did little bits every day, that surely, you know, hard work and gumption was going to deliver at least some sort of reward. And it's interesting because you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about their their stories, their journeys, and a lot of entrepreneurs, a really common theme is they come from some shape or form of adversity or some shape or form of rock bottom. Do you think that, you know, you hitting that rock bottom for you in your, in your world um, was what drove you to just go, nah, not going to happen. I need to dig myself out of this. And, you know, that was the driving force. You know, if you'd have started LBPR, say, two years before in completely different set of circumstances, you might not necessarily have had that same fire in your belly to succeed. The truth is, Abby, I would never have actually started a business had that not happened to me. Um, You know, at the time it was awful um, and there were months of just, I guess, overwhelming sadness and grief attached to what had happened. Um, But once I came out the other side of that, I realised that what was happening, and I mean, what a gift, was the universe had basically handed me, I talk about this in the book, a blank etch-a-sketch. I said, okay, Lisa, you know, 36-year-old Lisa, you can have whatever you want. You've got everything you need to make it happen. What is it that you want? And we get so used in life, um, used to in life, and I don't know if it's more so for women, um, you know, as, as the primary carer of children, to ticking boxes and not really consciously thinking about what we want. And at that moment, I actually got the chance to think about what I really wanted. And I wanted a future where I had flexibility with my children. And I kind of giggle at that because, you know, running your own business and flexibility, it's like, (laughs) oh my God, I mean, we've just had a conversation about our mornings, but it it is there. You know, I can go to school things. I don't have to ask the boss, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I imagined a future where that could happen. And the only way that I thought that could happen was if I created my own show, um, And it was just a sort of blind faith. You know, mum and I have had many conversations about it because she was there with me when all this was happening. And I applied for jobs locally, you know, local councils, PR officer type jobs. And it just made me feel ill at the thought of doing that, that I wasn't fulfilling my destiny or my true potential. Uh, So setting up my own business seemed like a really meaty challenge, um, but also something where I could prove to myself that I was a worthy person. Um, So that's really, really where it came from. And the LBPR sort of beyond that has gone on to be so successful. Um, I love some of your stories about some of the awards you guys have won and you've sort of been the, you know, the underdog and weren't necessarily, you know, as a smaller local business, weren't necessarily tipped to be the winner, but yet you guys won and some of the amazing award-winning work that you've done. So it's gone on to do absolutely incredible things. What do you think, so beyond that first steps of, of starting, what do you think have been some of the key factors to LBPR's success? Um, there's, there's a few, and I have given it considered thought because, again, being truthful, and I, I'm being very truthful in this interview, um, I didn't really have any measures of success initially other than I you know, had money in my bank account. So it has kind of flown by the seat of its pants probably for the first two or three years. And the truth, I had one foot in and one foot out. You know, I was never fully in. It's like, well, let's just give it another year, another year. But once I've sort of reached seven years, like, okay, I'm in this now and I'm going to look (laughs) back and work out, okay, what, um, what has been 
the secret sauce, if you like. And the truth is there's no secret sauce. You know, I've managed to attract and retain a great team. And Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, I, I read that book often, talks about getting the right people on the bus. So I've hired people ahead of work. I've hired people where I haven't had a position because I can see how great they are and the value that they bring and that they share my values, which is really important. Um, we do excellent work. At the end of the day, the quality of our work, our commitment to a strategic approach to a client's challenge is what brings results. So we never, ever suggest something that we know won't work. I'm, I'm not the person to come to if you want to do fancy stunts because I've been there, done that over the last 24 years. They just do not deliver, um, you know, from a PR perspective. We make budgets work really hard. So, I mean, you talked about some of our awards. We've been successful in the best small budget PR campaign um, for the last two years with the Public Relations Institute of Australia for Girl Guides Australia and also for Brevecto, which is a treatment um, for cats and dogs who um, need to be protected against tick paralysis. So um, we're really nimble and clever. We, you know, and we attract businesses from all over Australia, big ones. And I just love the fact we can do it from a regional centre like Wollongong where the quality of life is awesome. Awesome. Um, but it doesn't mean our brains don't work as well as those in the city. <laughs> actually, <laughs> that's, that's a common that's theme. <laughs> that's actually something that I'm going to hit on there because I, I know it's come up before in the past around, you know, um, I remember you telling a story and I'm probably going to butcher it so you can put me straight about <laughs> going to award ceremony in Sydney and yeah. you guys had come up from Wollongong and someone being almost patronising about, oh, you know, fun night out for you guys coming up from Wollongong and sort of, you know, that sort of talking talking down to you guys um, because you are more, you know, you're in a regional base. I actually love that part of your story that, that you guys are the underdogs and Talk to us about that in terms of has that been a challenge that people have sort of initially not considered you for projects because of the fact that you're regional? Has it been something that you've found you've had to overcome? Uh, yes and no. So, look, do we find ourselves on pitch lists with big multinationals like Hill and Alton and Edelman? Um, no, we don't. Uh, and, you know, the truth is they're probably working on campaigns that require far more manpower than we'll ever have. You know, I made a decision last year that my team wasn't going to get any bigger than five people because the minute you tip into that space, for, from my experience, you start doing more HR than PR. And I didn't want that. Do we attract um, big businesses to us because they know me? Well, we do because I've been around for such a long time. A lot of the marketing executives that I worked with are now marketing directors um, and they trust me and then they know that I do a good job. Uh, so, look, it can be a hindrance, but I always believe that the clients and the work that you're meant to have will find you. And I've turned down work from big companies and I've actually walked away from a really big one, which I spoke about a few years ago, because it just wasn't right. The relationship was disrespectful. The skills that we brought to the table weren't acknowledged or used to their full capacity. Capacity. And I just wasn't prepared to put us in that position. And that wouldn't have mattered whether in Wollongong, Sydney, Melbourne, wherever. So it is an interesting conversation to have with people. And what you said, that, that story is actually one of my favourites too, because it was a big multinational agency that said that to us. We were both in the same category at the National Public Relations Institute of Australia Awards. Um, and we won it. And I have to tell you, that was one of the sweetest moments of my entire <laughs> career. Um, it was best digital and social um, media campaign, which was a really hot 
hotly contested category because it was relatively new. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a sweet victory. I'm actually smiling from ear to ear right now, remembering <laughs> it. <laughs> I can hear. <laughs> that was one of my favourite stories. I distinctly remember it. And I want to also talk about um, the team because just before you were talking about building the team, you were talking about not going beyond five people because then you turn to HR, not PR. I know from, you know, from knowing you, you know, personally and speaking over the years, I know how passionate you are about being a great leader, but not just that, developing young talent. Um, I talked in your intro about working with students and with some of the universities, and I know that's something you're really, really proud of. I'd love to understand a little bit more about that, because I, I think sometimes as I'll, I'll speak for myself here, I think sometimes as small businesses, you don't necessarily know the best way to support students and and how to go about it it can almost be quite an overwhelming and daunting task um but you have had quite a good success record of you know bringing young talent nurturing them and building them into fantastic team members that deliver for your business and your clients can you talk to us about you know some of your leadership lessons there and and what you have found to be the most successful for you I guess I'm fortunate in the sense that Wollongong has a fantastic university, a a world-renowned and recognised tertiary institution, literally 10 minutes from where we are. So uh, they also have a a PR and a marketing degree. So uh, I reached out to them initially just to see, you know, if I could guest lecture or if there's any way that I could connect to, to bridge what I assumed would be a gap between the theory being taught and the realities um, of the industry and look it is true you know I remember when I was at university studying journalism and PR the theory was overwhelming Um, you know but to have the practical experience is really what makes the difference you can hit the ground running for an employer so I started the lecturing on various things um, to show you know the difference between something that's written on a piece of paper and what actually happens and it kind of grew into a situation where um, myself and the the main PR lecturer realized that there was an opportunity to really take under our wing some of the the stellar third year students and put them in a consultancy environment, give them clients that they worked on from start to finish, so concept development, strategy development, right through to evaluation. Um, What it, it meant was the university had an amazing internship program. I got to have first pick of any of the amazing, you know, talent coming out of the university, which is a great recruitment strategy. Um, And we also decided uh, that we would only work with charitable organisations, so local charities that don't have the money or the manpower to maximise PR could actually be part of the Catalyst um, student consultancy program. So I found it one of the most rewarding things I've ever done um, and the Public Relations Institute of Australia endorsed it and said that they hadn't actually heard of anything like it globally, which was surprising to me, but it's an investment. You know, one of the things you have to be aware of is that you're bringing inexperienced people into a a very busy um, professional environment. So there's a lot of coaching around how to behave in an office, uh, the pace, how we write things, you know, how to work with a client, which is very different to working in an in-house role. But, you know, the team got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of it. We've actually just put it on a hiatus for the moment because uh, we're, we're really busy and, you know, I, I would never compromise um, our paying clients. But it's certainly a concept that's there that can be switched on and off like a tap um, as, as we have capacity to, to do it justice, I guess. I love that. I I absolutely love the ethos um, and intentions behind that. What what do you feel have been some of your key 
leadership lessons because you've now had quite a lot of experience in leadership and and bringing through those students what do you feel you've learned as a leader I am a massive softy at heart um, I'm a <laughs> Libran um, are you a Libran as well no like, or is, is Jaden a Libran I don't know maybe I'm, I'm just searching for Librans but anyway as a Libran I like balance I like everything to be in order I don't like to accept upset people I'm very empathetic and those are lovely qualities to have but when you're leading a business um, and the buck literally stops with you particularly a small business where things can change very quickly you know I liken it to the difference between being a jumbo jet and a propeller plane you know if a big gust of wind comes you're not going to feel it so much in a jumbo but in a small business you feel it really really heavily so um I've really had to toughen up and it's been a challenge for me um to do that on the basis of the way I've just described myself someone once said to me um your success in business will be determined by the number of difficult conversations you're willing to have and that was one of the most powerful things that was ever said to me because when I frame it like that in my head the decision as to whether I give someone the feedback they need to hear or I pull someone up on something that's happening that isn't aligned to the way that we operate or our values is about whether I actually value my business. And at the end of the day, the business is me. So I have got much better at being firm um, and realising, you know, my name's on the door. It's literally on the door. So whatever leaves has got to be something that I am proud of. You know, the biggest kick in the guts for me is a client coming back and saying it's not what they want, it's substandard, there's a grammatical error, even a typo. We just don't let things out the door that aren't as perfect as we could make them. Um, You know, I'm not saying that we're, you know, analysis paralysis and perfection comes at a cost of getting things done on time, but, you know, we have systems and processes in place to make sure that what we do is excellent. So that's the biggest learning for me. You know, you, you, when you own a business and you run it, the brand is you. So you have to make decisions about how it's going to run, realising that it will reflect what people think of you. I love that. We had um, Julie Masters on the podcast previously and she said that she had um, she has on her wall a sign just saying world-class and everything that goes out the door it's what's a world-class version of this what's a world-class version of this email this podcast this conversation and I really love that in terms of just setting the bar high and not accepting substandards and it sounds like you're from the same school of thought there I totally agree our interpretation of that one of our values is constantly wow and sadly, it doesn't take a lot to wow in our industry. Um, you know, when I have been privy um, to work that has come from other agencies, it amazes me how much the easy things aren't done well. And the easy things for us are, like I said, typos, grammar, you know, things being laid out properly. So, yeah, constantly wow um, is something that we, we hold dear and make sure is, you know, something that we think about every time we're doing something for a client. I want to dig into that around how you wow and some of the keys to success for PR because obviously your area of expertise is is PR and I'd love to PR actually we were talking about this the other day PR is actually an area I've never really delved into um, and don't really know as much as I should about so I'd love to sort of understand from you what your top tips are and what you feel the keys to success are for anyone out there who is considering PR for their business and how to go about it. I'm so pleased you've asked me this question because even to this day, I don't think my parents fully understand what it is that I do. (laughs) um, But 
with LBPR, just quickly, I almost completely disbanded the business last year and started again with a new brand because I was feeling so frustrated that people didn't understand what PR was. Um, And the reason that I didn't do that was, first of all, the thought of not having LBPR made me quite sad when it came down to, you know, making the decision. Second of all, I thought, well, as an expert communicator, if I can't articulate what PR is, then I'm not doing my job for my business. So this year we treat LBPR as a client. Um, Two of my team are actually, you know, the equivalent of the account managers on it. And the whole premise of it, we've actually just Taylor Swifted our Instagram as well. So starting from scratch to build a new following, um, the whole premise of it is PR is not what you think it is. And that's a hashtag that we've started. People often think PR is just getting editorial media coverage. And yes, that is part of what we do. But in the last sort of three to five years, we've seen that become part of a lot of different pieces. So if I was to say in one sentence, what is it that we do? We help businesses and individuals effectively link arms with their target audience in a way that's going to resonate. And resonate can mean that we change a thought. It can mean that we change a behaviour. It can mean a direct sale. It's some sort of action. So it's not dissimilar, I guess, to what you do. Um, It's just that we execute it in different ways. So we do a lot of work with digital influencers on behalf of clients. Um, We write a lot of content for websites, social media plans. Um, We do stakeholder engagement, a lot of issues preparedness, media training, social media workshops. So it's really, really broad and it's varied um, and it keeps us on our toes. And we look after brands like, you know, Hikoki Power Tools um, and Grow Urban Oasis, which are, you know, the indoor plant stores in Westfields throughout Sydney. So really different stuff and they all have different needs. We also say that our ideal client is someone that says to us, this is my challenge or my opportunity. How can you help me? We don't want to work with people who say, can you write this media release? Because it might not be the right thing to do. So strategy is absolutely critical. And it always gobsmacks me why you'd hire a consultant if you're not going to trust them to advise you on the strategy. Otherwise, you might as well just, you know, get a student to write your media release. No disrespect to students. But that's the difference between, you know, people that have worked in the industry for many years and people that are coming in fresh. You know, we can give the benefit of experience um, to say, okay, this is which elements of the PR mix are going to work best for you. Do you think there's a certain point in business where you should consider PR? And what I mean by that is you get some people who from the off, you know, maybe they've got um, more investment. They might come out with a bang and a huge amount of PR in their launch, a bit like you alluded to earlier about other brands. And then there's others who sort of build up and then, you know, get a bit more money behind them and then start looking at PR. Is there, you know, this is probably a stupid question, but, you know, no stupid question and all that. Is there a right time or a wrong time to start considering when you would leverage PR? I guess it comes back to how you define it. So if I had, for example, you know, a startup come to me um, with a very small budget and said, you know, I want loads of media coverage, I would probably turn them away because when you're looking at something like editorial, we are confident with what we can achieve, but it's never a a certainty. And having been a startup, I'm take people's uh, budgets as if they were my own. So what I would probably suggest is you look at avenues where you get a guaranteed outcome. 
So social media, for example, is a great way for a startup to, or a small business to actually create traction and a movement and engagement. Um, and that is PR. You know, I, I would say 60% of our work now is looking after social media content and community management for clients. So it's back to the definition. And that's why I don't think it should be discounted at, at any point. But find a consultant or, you know, someone that you trust who can advise you on what to activate when. Um, I have had clients where I've said, I would just go and advertise. Advertising's right for you. At this point, you want mass awareness. That's what you should do. Um, but it's down to budget and, and what the end goal is. It's almost impossible um, to have a cookie-cutter approach. So we don't, we don't do that. You know, every client is treated as an individual. I'm sure the jigsaw pieces are the same, but the way we put it together are quite different. I love your honesty. It's so refreshing. I just love it. And actually, you know, I'm really happy to share with everyone. I was recently talking to Lisa about my business and it was sort of my first go-to person of like, should I do this? Should I do that? And I'm thinking (laughs) about PR and what do I do? And just the emails I got back were just the most refreshing honesty ever. So if anyone wants honesty, Lisa is definitely your girl. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. But you know, at the end of the day, it's my PR. So if I do a bad job for you, then you're going to tell everyone that I did a bad job. So it's my reputation on the line as much as anything else. No, I, I love it and I value it. I, I want to go back to one point that you said that I'm really curious about. You said that this year you've started treating LVPR as a client and got some of your team working on the business as a client. What difference have you seen since you've started to do that and allocate time to yourselves and not treat yourselves constantly as you know coming second to external client work that's a really great question um and I haven't been asked it because I haven't I haven't really spoken about the rebrand and you know our changing strategy but I think what it's done for the team is given us all a huge sense of pride um and a really tangible example of the fact that the business is yes it might be mine on paper but actually it's all of ours and we all have something to contribute so when I open our Instagram feed now and this sounds just so basic but I am so proud of it because it's not messy you know we're employing all the strategies that we advise our clients to employ on our own social media it's absolutely crazy that it's taken us this long to do it it's the classic you know hairdresser who doesn't have time to get her roots done that's exactly what was happening with our with our own brand so um we're proud of it. If clients look at what we're doing, there's lessons that can be learned. If new potential clients look, they're like, oh, okay, those guys know what they're doing. Um, the way we word things, so our, our website, everything, it's just I want to open our web, you know, upload our website, look at our social, look at anything we do, credentials, presentations, and go, that captures who we are. Um, and that's exactly what's happening. So um, it's, it's really refreshing. And you know what? Having run the business for seven years, and again, I'm sure there's people listening that uh, have run a business for a long time, you need to give yourself a shot in the arm. And that's why I was searching around last year thinking I needed to completely change it when actually all I needed to do was freshen it up. So I'm interested again. Because if I'm not interested, then how can I expect anyone else to be interested? Um, and if I'm not interested, then you know, the spreadsheet tells the story and it has on several occasions over the last seven years. I love that. And I think it's so true. You know, I know when I I recently was looking for someone to do social media for our business and I started looking at various people and I would take a look at their Instagram or their LinkedIn and, you know, they, they weren't doing 
they weren't practicing what they preach and exactly like you said you know and hey we're all guilty of that absolutely sometimes I go oh man you know I've, I need to get my foot back on the gas on that sales strategy or whatever that might be so we're all guilty of it but I love how you've overcome that by treating yourself as a client that's so so powerful and a really great um takeaway for me thank um, you one thing that I want to sort of change tact into is around, I love understanding people's high performance habits and some of their disciplines and rituals and so on. I'm kind of curious about yours actually, and I don't actually know the answer to this, which is quite exciting considering I do know you <laughs> relatively well, I'd consider. Yes. I'm really interested in what rituals and habits are your non-negotiables. You know, you and I were talking this morning, we both had some slightly interesting mornings. If yes. you're having an insanely busy week, everything's kicking off, it's all go with work, with kids, with everything. What are your non-negotiables in terms of rituals that just help you be on your A game? Okay, this is probably a little embarrassing, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, in the evening, so during the day, I just don't even go there because I'm setting myself up for failure. Um, you know, I've got two children at different schools, um, obviously running this business. It's just go, go, go. And then I do the school pickups. Um, you know, I talk about this in my book. I was going down the route of getting a nanny and just decided I didn't want to miss out on the reason that I had my kids. And, you know, I love the chats we have to and from school. So my day ends at 2.30, basically. Um, and I don't want to fall into the trap of working at night. So I just let the day be the chaos that it is. When it gets to the evening, I watch shows like Married at First Sight, First Dates, um, all that stuff. And the reason I do it is my brain totally switches off. It is just mind-numbing entertainment. It is not, you know, I'm not sitting there journaling. I'm not, you know, reading The Next Wayne Dyer or Gabby Bernstein book. Um, I've tried all of that. Actually just sitting on the couch with a glass of wine, watching that sort of show with my little miniature shower puppies makes me really happy. So during the week, that's pretty much what it looks like. On weekends, I guess one of the benefits of being um, not with the father of my children is I get every second weekend to myself. So when I have my boys on the weekend, you know, I'm on, I'm with them, we, you know, go and watch movies, we do whatever they like. When they're not with me, I am my natural introverted self. And I've realised in the last year that I'm an introvert, which is such a revelation for someone that has constantly thrown herself into positions where extroverts shine um, and explains why I get anxiety before events and, you know, doing certain things. But those weekends, honestly, Abby, you know, I live in the country. Um, I just go into my little shell um, with my partner, Colin, and, you know, maybe the old friend and we just walk dogs and look at the mountains and eat good food and whatever. And that recharges my battery. So knowing I've got every second weekend to do that, I think is probably my sanity and I'm so grateful for it. And if you haven't followed Lisa on Instagram, you have to because she has the most two cute, adorable puppies that I am I thought you were about to say to children. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the kids are cute too, but I'm such a puppy person that it's like puppies. The, the kids are pretty cute as well. Someone said to me the other day, they go, and how are the little ones? And I thought they meant the schnauzers and they meant the kids. So I've done it too. <laughs> yeah I'm the type of person I walk past someone with a baby and a puppy and I'm all over the puppy I say that yeah. as a relatively new mom my bad exactly <laughs> no, it's um, fine I'm, I'm with you th they are just adorable and I love them and I need to meet them they are very 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 you cute. will for sure <laughs> 
So while we're on sort of the, the topic around high performance, I'm, one thing I also love to understand about people is how people, um, when you're feeling stuck, unmotivated, you want to snooze the alarm, can't be asked, that sort of feeling, how do you get past that? And what is it for you that is your sort of tricks of the trade to then get yourself snapping back into execution? Because you've just shared with us, actually, you've got relatively short work day. So for you, execution has actually got to be key because you, you just have such a short period of time to get stuff done. Um, so, so what are your sort of tricks and tools to, to get past any feelings of, you know, lack of motivation, barriers, all those things? I'm fortunately in a position, like a state of mind now where I'm not feeling that, but I, I alluded to last year where I felt it pretty much constantly um, and was searching, you know, like a magpie for the shiny things that were going to make me feel better and feel more motivated. Um, something that I do every quarter is I sit down with my accountant and we, we look at the numbers and we set goals for the quarter ahead. So we tried to do it for a whole year and I just found it too overwhelming. So now we just do it by quarter. So having some sort of financial target for me is hugely motivating um, and there being no surprises. So that's one thing um, that I do. The second thing that I do, um, and you'll you know appreciate this because I know you've worked with it before, is I have a, a business mentor, Lorraine Murphy, um, who is someone who is a few steps ahead of me in terms of you know where I'd like to go. Um, I connect with her on a regular basis. She gives me tough love. Um, she hears me when I stay where I'm at. She gives me permission to sometimes just sit in it, which I think is a really important lesson. You know, on the days where you're just not feeling it, if you can, just don't feel it. Go and do something else. You know, run your personal errands, whatever it might be, and come back to that thing or whatever it is that's causing you to kind of just shut down. So speaking to a business mentor that gets you, I think is really, really important. And I do journal. So I actually do get thoughts out, not at night because it doesn't work for me, but just when I, I've got it in my bag, just when I feel like it, I, I let things fall onto the page and that kind of gives me a refocus and a bit of a shot in the arm as well. So they're kind of my go-to strategies that, that work for me. I love that. I once heard um, Richard Branson talking and he said um, one of his top tips, and I'm kind of like sitting there with bated breath expecting it to be huge, was always carry a notepad because you never know when you might have some inspiration that you want to journal about or something you want to make a note, a note of and always carry a notepad. And I absolutely love that. So uh, Lisa, you clearly think that one too. <laughs> well, you know, me and Richard, we are very tight. So are you? it you makes sense that he would think that too. <laughs> well, here we go. You heard it here first. Lisa and Richard are besties. <laughs> he just doesn't know yet, but that's okay. <laughs> he will. So look, I'm, I want to, before we sort of let you run away, because I'm conscious you're a busy woman, I can't let you go without talking to us about the book, which I am just so excited about. I feel like every time I do open up my Instagram or my Facebook and I see something about the book launch, I just get all excited. And I think it's such an amazing thing because so many people start, talk about, you know, hey, one day I want to write a book and one day, but you've actually made it happen. And not only have you made it happen, you've secured a publishing deal. Um, tell us firstly, a little bit about the book. Um, it's called Dream a Little Dream, but tell us, and I know the title gives it a little bit away, but tell us about the book itself. Well, it's actually changed title. And this is, this is where it gets a little tricky because, as you know, I self-published um, the first version called Dream a Little Dream. And the reason it was called that was because, as I said at the start of our chat, I realised that I managed to build a successful business, that I'd managed to build my own home as a single parent running her own business 
through dreaming little dreams. So it's that counterintuitive thought process instead of, you know, thinking about all the big stuff, which can become overwhelming and feel too far away. And in a lot of cases, perhaps not be something that's going to come true. If you focus on the little dreams, you celebrate the wins as you go. Um, they're things that you can absolutely make happen, which helps your confidence. Uh, and they are almost always part of a much bigger dream. So the book tells my story, but it is also very much written for the reader. So how can you apply the strategies, tools and techniques that I did to create a life that I love from a space of, you know, the blank extra sketch where everything was crap, basically. Um, with the book, that is actually an example of a little dream coming true, you know, have, having written it, um, had it professionally designed um, and printed. I was so proud that I managed to do it. It was so hard um, setting up a business. I thought that was hard. Writing a book, it's a whole nother level. Um, you know, you really have to want it because you're doing it at night, you're doing it on weekends, you're deleting stuff. You know, 80% of what I originally wrote isn't even in that book because it was just basically a very sad little diary of things that just no one needed to read about um so once it came out a year ago actually to the day almost yeah a couple of days um in it'll be a year out my other little dream off the back of that which is actually secretly a really big one was to land a proper publishing deal because I knew if I just sent in a manuscript they wouldn't a, a, a hay house or whoever it was wouldn't see what I was capable of or really understand what it was that I was creating which was ultimately a movement of little dreamers who apply this strategy every day to their life to make it better. So I took it into Dimmicks in Wollongong um, and asked John, the owner, to stop the book. And I was very scared to do it as an introvert and a first-time author. He said yes. Um, and I just had a feeling like, okay, this is a little dream coming true. It's going to lead to the much bigger one. This is, you know, of getting a publishing deal. And a week later, no word of a lie, I had a publishing contract in my inbox from New Holland publishers a global publisher that I had watched for some time because they do children's books as well as adult books um, and we've spent the last year kind of kicking my self-published version into shape um, into something that people who don't know me will want to read so the new title is drumroll um, all it takes is a little gumption how to dream it do it and be it and uh, it's going to be in bookstores all around Australia and online retailers uh, at the start of March. And I'm super excited for it to land with people who don't know me, but hopefully can take something from my my story to help them. That is so awesome. I just got goosebumps when you were saying that. When you, It was the moment when you said bookstores all across Australia. I was like, ah! so excited you know Abby I say all this out loud and I realized the other day it hasn't sunk in it has not yeah. sunk in I think once the box arrives of the books that I have from them that's when I'm going to cry because it's like this is actually real whereas up until now it's just been you know sharing pdfs and covers and talking about you know what's happening very functional but the emotional stuff is yet to kick in yeah it's oh it's so exciting and thank my you final final question for you before you run is what would be your top tip for anyone who wants to write a book and it's on their bucket list just start writing open a word document or actually I was going to say handwrite open a word document because you're going to have to put it in you know an electronic format eventually just start writing just get out whatever it is that's in your head and heart don't worry about editing it shaping it anything that is step one once you've done that I'm more than happy to tell you what I did beyond that but I think that's a little dream get all of it out out of your head and then start playing with it and having fun love it I've been recently following the Tony Robbins mantra around just take the first step and never leave the scene of yes. setting a goal without taking the first step 
And I've found so it's actually how this podcast started. So I found it really, really powerful. And this so podcast, we, you said you started, you had it up and running in a few weeks. So there you go. Yeah, it was it was thanks to Tony Robbins, my, my best mate Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa, tell us where people can find you and most importantly, where can we pre-order the book? Um, so you can find me on all the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, just as Lisa Burling. Um, Dream a Little Dream Project um, also has its own Facebook and Instagram handles and obviously LBPR um, is on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. So, yeah, I'm very open to everyone connecting with me. My website is lisaburling.com.au um, and I think you'll put the pre-order website for the book up at your end. Is that correct? I will do. I'll put all of Lisa's socials and I'll also put the link to pre-order the book in the show notes. So just check out the show notes and you can um, link through to Lisa's websites there. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved having you on. I've made several notes here of things that I want to run off and do. And thank you for being so open and honest. It's quite rare that people are as open as you are. So thank you. I really value and appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Abby. It's very easy talking to you and I'm glad we finally caught up. Yeah, again. <laughs> thanks for the catch-up <laughs> talk to you soon <laughs> thank you for listening if you love this episode please subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review if you're interested in finding out more about the execution zone don't forget to check out our website theexecutionzone.com Before you leave us, don't forget to check out the Execution Zone Summit on the 27th of February in Sydney. We're going to have the incredible Jacinta McDonald, co-founder of Anytime Fitness, talking to us about how they disrupted the fitness industry, how they took it from zero to over 500 clubs, her tips for success and all the behind the scenes of her story. We're then going to have the amazing Julie Masters, CEO of Influence Nation, take us through her Influencer Code workshop. This is about how do you become influential in your industry in a digital age and what do you need to do to stand out from the crowd in such a noisy space. This workshop is just going to be absolutely brilliant. Julie just is an incredibly inspiring lady who walks her talk and has years of experience that she brings to the table on this topic. Beyond that, we're then going to be doing activities to start putting your learning into action. We don't want you walking away feeling inspired. We want you walking away having taken the first steps to execution. Get your tickets now on www.theexecutionzone.com.